hey, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, which I know is exciting. Uh, this is my good friend, Skip, who's also one of the pastors here. Uh, if you are new here at Church on the Rock, welcome. Uh, if you'd like to get connected with us and get some information uh, about opportunities for your growth, hey, Larissa's back. Oh, and yeah. Kathy and Carrie are back. Right. Wow, everyone's coming back They're to all Alaska. Tanner. They're all Tanner. Yes, yeah. they are. <laughs> wow, all the Tuts are back. My goodness. Anyways, if you're new and you want to connect uh, with uh, ministry opportunities here at Church on the Rock for your own growth, uh, one of the best ways to do that is to head over here to the info table after the service, fill out a guest card, and uh, that gives us permission to get in contact with you, um, kind of help you connect with the resources that we do have available for you. Um, if you do so, they have a gift for you. The gift comes from a ministry that, we're, that we support uh, overseas in India. It's kind of a story behind that. Um, but uh, most importantly, uh, besides all of those things, uh, if you are new here at Church on the Rock, Homer, and this is your first time, I have some wonderfully exciting news for you. The God of the universe, your Father, your Creator, has sent the Holy Spirit to the gymnasium of the Homer High School. I'm surprised he can find it. But he has sent his spirit to Homer, Alaska, to this gymnasium to speak to you during this time, uh, to invite you into a greater experience of him and into deeper relationship with him. And so uh, it's our confident expectation that you, as you open your heart to him, that he will connect with you. And that is the goal of our prayers uh, every week as we come towards this time is that that would take place. So... Uh, welcome to you. Um, before we jump in, um, I want to take a minute, um, it just seemed appropriate, um, and pray for the Kozlowski family. Um, many of you uh, know already uh, that there was a, a sort of very sudden, surprising accident uh, out in the buoy yard on the spit, and one of the Coast Guard uh, members uh, lost his life. Passed away over the weekend, um, married, father of four, actually kids, uh, same age as my kids, uh, friends with them in school. Uh, anyways, we want to take a second, um, just so you know, uh, I'm already aware of a number of different ways that uh, people from our community and then the rest of the community are reaching out to them. Um, we want to take a minute and uh, pray for that family. So would you join me in that? God, we lift up this family and uh, for the Coast Guard community as a whole, uh, what an unbearable grief. Mm-hmm. God, we just ask that you, in the way that only you can, uh, that you would be present that you would be a comfort to those who are grieving, that you would be a father to those who are now fatherless. We ask that you would give uh, the members of this church community and our our larger uh, faith community and the community of Homer here in Homer, those who are reaching out to them, that you would give them wisdom in that, give them grace in that, um, that in this time of great loss, that the care of this community would be a gift to them 
and to that family, uh, to those kids. Uh, we commit them to you. And Lord, we commit this time to you. Uh, we ask as we come to your word uh, that you would uh, open our hearts, uh, help us to receive Give us ears to hear during this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. Did you want to, I, I think we skipped one thing. We did. did you want to mention? I was going to catch it later, but I'll just say, go ahead. I'll yeah. say it right now. Um, actually, next Sunday is Safe Family Sunday. Yeah. And we wanted to let you know ahead of time, you can put it on your calendar, that at, at uh, 1 o'clock, between 1 and 3, uh, next Sunday at Captain's Coffee is an opportunity to kind of get a review of what all has been going on with, with Safe Families yeah, in the last great. year. There's been some changes, some real growth. And uh, anyway, I'm personally excited about being there and hearing those stories and hearing what's going on. It's one of the, yeah. one of the ministries that we partner with that we love That's right. and uh, believe in. It's, so, uh, so anyway, uh, put that on your calendar next week for Safe Families. We'll talk more about it that, that week as okay. well. Okay. All right. Thanks, Skip. Go get them. I will go get them. Speaking of go get them, why don't you open to Song of Solomon? I know you've been looking forward to this all week. It's probably been difficult to wait. We are in the wisdom literature. Uh, if you have not been a part of our church very long, uh, what we do here at Church on the Rock is we, uh, we have made it our habit and our pattern to teach through the entirety of Scripture, to teach through the whole story. And so as we go along, one of the things that I love about that is that it, uh, it kind of uh, brings us into uh, certain topics of discussion, whether or not we had necessarily planned or desired to be in that topic. With that said, I'm super excited about today. But what it does is it kind of, it, it, it creates a pathway for us not to miss certain things or skip certain things. Because as always is the case, you know, there, there are certain topics that are more pressing on my mind or heart at any given time. But by going through the scripture, uh, we, over the course of a few years, basically cover it all. Uh, we started our church 10 years ago, and we are in our third lap uh, through the scriptures, which has been fantastic. And um, I got to say, you know, I know he's, he's like kind of headed out, but the last couple of Skip's teaching in the wisdom literature has just been phenomenal. Wouldn't you agree? Oh man, it's been so great. I am so thankful uh, for the wisdom literature, uh, for... Uh, the Proverbs, for the Psalms, for the Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, all of those things. It's just a really cool perspective uh, that has been tremendously beneficial for me. So this morning, what we're going to do is I'm going to cover the, the heart of the book of Song of Psalms, the embarrassing chapters of the book of Song of Solomon. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this book is essentially a celebration of uh, the marriage union, of, of love, of romantic love. The story uh, has, well, it's, it's, it's really a, a series of poems um, that are not necessarily in chronological order, but it's a series of poems that celebrate uh, romantic love between a man and a woman. 
and kind of uh, create a vision of what God intends that to be. But before we jump in, I want to give a couple of uh, really sort of overarching considerations that I think are so important as we step into this topic. And I usually offer these or some version of these anytime that we step into this topic, but I'm going to offer them again. The first one is this. Our sexuality is a very personal matter. We're going to talk about some things this morning. There is, uh, we've actually talked about some things over the last couple of weeks. Um, I recognize that this topic is very personal, and it affects us to the, the deepest place of who we are as a person. God has created us as sexual beings. Now, with that said, there's a second piece of this. I also realize that in this area, this very personal uh, part of our uh, human experience, many of us have experienced hurt, many of us have walked through failure, and many of us have experienced shame. Now, just to provide some reassurance to those who are skeptical and feel alone in this, I would ask some of you to be brave. Would you, by raising your hand, let the rest of them, the room know if in the area of your sexuality you've ever experienced hurt, failure, or shame? Okay, I love it. You're not alone. This is such a profoundly like, important part of who we are. And yet all of us have had uh, good things maybe and then bad things. And one of the uh, most important areas of maturity is navigating those, is navigating failure in this area of our lives, navigating shame, uh, navigating hurt caused by others in this area of our life. And yet, we have God's Word to lead us. Sometimes our hurt is self-inflicted, sometimes it's inflicted by others. But what we're going to do this morning, and what God's Word calls us to do, is to examine the ideal, is to examine the beauty of what God intends, even though the beauty of what God intends may seem to you far out of reach. We're going to look at the blessing of what God intends, and we're going to do that while being mindful that we live in a culture and we live in a world that is increasingly hostile towards God's view of sexuality, increasingly hostile. And I just want to say this, God's design, God's plan is good. You can trust him. Nothing of what is required for a healthy marriage relationship can be demanded. What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the unique challenges of being a wife and the unique challenges of being a husband. And some of you, uh, in, in a, from a place of immaturity, might be tempted to walk out of here today and point to your spouse and say, yeah, see, you're supposed to be doing that. Even the pastor says so. And I would suggest that that's not going to make for a fun lunch 
In fact, it might ruin the Super Bowl for you. Because nothing of what is required for a healthy marriage relationship can be demanded because a healthy uh, marriage relationship can only exist in an environment of love. And love, above all things, is an expression of the free will. Love must be expressed as a gift, an exercise of my free will, my free choice, my decision to give something away to someone else. That's love. And so as soon as there are demands put in place, the possibility of love begins to fade. It's diminished. Lastly, this is just my introduction. <laughs> Lastly, we look to Jesus as a picture of the love of God. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. For some of you, uh, your sexuality and the good news of the gospel seem miles apart, seem entirely unrelated and disconnected. And yet what I would suggest to you this morning, and I think what the scripture bears out, is that you cannot possibly understand the best, the blessing of the sexual union without a proper understanding of the gospel. It's just not possible. Because the only way that we know what love is supposed to look like is by looking back to God. We love because he first loved us. Okay. So, you ready? I can wait. Are you ready? <laughs> Song of Songs, chapter 4. Now, I wish that I could read this as Antonio Banderas, as the Puss in Boots. That's the voice that this should be read in. I can't exactly pull off that gravelly uh, Hispanic tone, but you'll just imagine it, or not. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves <laughs> behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats <laughs> that have descended from Mount Gilead. Your teeth like a flock of newly shorn ewes which have come up from their washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost her young. Now, now just to point out a couple of details. Your teeth are like newly shorn. You ever go hunting and your teeth get fuzzy after a while? This is his way of saying, I appreciate that you brush your teeth. <laughs> and then he says, none of which them has lost her young. I appreciate that you have your teeth. 
which in this time and age may have been more rare. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples are like a slice of pomegranate. I don't actually know what to do with that one. I, <laughs> and maybe, maybe I'm just not clued in. I can't think of a time in 20 years that I've actually complimented my wife's temples. So, but now I have a working metaphor, so. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with rows of stones on which are hung a thousand shields, all the round shields of the mighty men. And for those of you who are getting nervous, we'll stop there. <laughs> she really is stunning. I mean, come on. So I want to make a few observations, and these are pretty simple observations. And as I have found in the marriage relationship is that uh, the principles that make for a healthy relationship are not complicated, they're just impossible to live out. And when I say impossible, I actually mean impossible. I believe that they are impossible without the Spirit of God working in your life and heart. Unconditional, sacrificial love is so rare in human experience. But a few observations, here we go. First to the man, use your words. Simple enough, use your words. What we have in Song of Solomon is an example of a man who has uh, taken ownership of the fact that his wife values his verbal communication of affection, his verbal communication. We, drawing from the example of the gospel, we only know about the love of God because he has communicated it to us in word, right? We have his words, his message of love and good news to us. Words are an extremely, a very important part of what it means to show love. I love some of the analogies that are used in Scripture to describe God's love. In Matthew 23, this has always been one of my favorites, Matthew 23, 37, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and yet you were unwilling. This is Jesus talking to the religious leaders in the city of Jerusalem. He says, I have longed to bring you under my protection in the same way that a hen would bring her chicks under her protection to cover them, to keep them safe, and yet you were unwilling. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God's uh, protective love for us, right? Well, we know about it because he has communicated it to us using his words. Not only use your words, but use words thoughtfully and skillfully. 
Song of Solomon is poetry. And you may not feel like a poet, and that's okay, but what poetry requires is intentionality. It requires thoughtfulness. It requires some skill put to how I use my words. Use words thoughtfully and skillfully. Picking it up in verse, or chapter 4, verse 9, you have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. Now, don't be too taken by that. Um, uh, the, the author, well, the man in Song of Solomon often refers to his lover as his sister, uh, not because it's his sister, but it's sort of a term of endearment. So if my wife's sister is my sister, then she's my sister as well. Tracking? No? Fine. We'll move on. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. This is a man who has uh, mastered a capacity to communicate love to his wife using his words thoughtfully and skillfully. He's practiced this. He's gotten better at this over time. He uses his words to communicate his adoration and affection for his wife to his wife. In verse 15, there's this picture given that's actually used in the book of Proverbs, probably both written by Solomon. The picture is in, in uh, verse 15 of chapter 4. He says, you are a garden fountain, a well flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. Uh, you are this life-giving supply, this essential life-giving supply in my life. Well, if you flip back to Proverbs... Chapter 5, the same uh, sort of working picture or working metaphor is used. Uh, Proverbs 5.15, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. So in Proverbs, uh, again, the picture is that the wife is this life-giving supply. She's a well of water. And the author of Proverbs is instructing the reader to go to her to have his need met. And then he says this in verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Let your fountain be blessed. Allow her to walk in the blessing of your delight in her. And how do you do that? By rejoicing in the wife of your youth. To rejoice is to put words to the delight that I carry in my heart. Now, some of you have heard me talk about this before. Some of you here this morning are thinking, um, what if I don't delight in my wife? Here's what you should do. Uh, get out a pad and paper. Write down all the characteristics of the devil. And then check any that are not like your wife. And then rejoice that your wife is not the devil. <laughs> of course you can come up with something to rejoice in. Of course you can. 
Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Use your words to give her the gift. He says, let your fountain be blessed. Allow her to experience that blessing. And the way that you do it is you, you put words to where your heart is at towards her. You rejoice in the things that should be rejoiced in. As a husband, giving the gift of my words to my wife is one of my most important roles. And yet many a young man, and maybe a few older men, will say, I'm just not good at words. I'm not good at speaking good to my wife. And I say, it's too bad. You're married. Get good at it. Face your incompetency in this area and have the courage to do it poorly until you learn to do it well. Have the humility to fail until you find success in it because your wife needs to hear from you out of your mouth, blessing. Give her the gift of your words. So then in our story, he kind of makes his approach. He's wooing his wife. The narrator in chapter 5, verse 1 says, Eat, friends, drink, and imbibe deeply, O lovers. So there's been sort of this, this dance, right? This wooing. And then now the husband and wife are coming together and experience what I refer to as the universal disconnect. You ready for this? I'm sure you won't relate. So I've, I've made the, uh, uh, the girl's text is in red and the guy's text is in blue. I was asleep, but my heart was awake. Yeah, there it is. A voice, my beloved was knocking. Open up to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is drenched with dew, my locks with the damp of the night. And here it is, you ready? I'm too tired. <laughs> I've already got dressed for bed. I can't put, I, yeah, I've already, I'm already prepared for sleep. I am not into this. This is the disconnect stage one. I call it the yeah, not gonna happen stage. <laughs> Come on, the guy's writing poetry. <laughs> she says, ah, if it had been nine o'clock, sure, but come on, it's 10.30. It clearly was not in her plan for the evening. And her first response is guided in impulse by her own need at that moment. Maybe you're a wife who says, it's just not my thing. I just, it's just not that important to me. And I would say, 
too bad. You're married. And it's an area of your relationship with your husband that you must address any incompetence, any insecurity, any fear, any hurt, any shame, and grow in your capacity to meet that need. So she says, she hesitates, right? I've taken off my dress, how can I put it on again? I've washed my feet, how can I dirty them again? And then she has this moment of like, ah, but it's my husband. He's so great. All right, I'll get up and I'll open the door. Verse 6, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and had gone. And my heart went out to him as he spoke. I searched for him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer me. This is disconnect stage two. You're mean, I give up. Because he also has not matured, and in his uh, immaturity, he is impatient and insensitive, right? He, in his immaturity, quickly takes offense in his response to his wife. Rather than gently and patiently navigating her emotional response to him, he leaves. And I know in this room, there are many who have experienced this disconnect, right? Who've experienced this, it just doesn't seem to, we just seem to be not only missing each other, but we seem to, when missing each other, we seem to like, like there's a fence there and there's hurt there and there's, and we just don't know how to get through it. We don't know how to move forward in our relationship. And this is where I think we need to really press in to our understanding of the gospel. This is where the message of the scriptures in regards to the sexual union really truly becomes countercultural. In fact, if you teach this message to the world or to the culture, there will at times be a, a very angry response. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 4 and following, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another. He says you need to understand that in the marriage relationship that you have, by, by saying I do, by committing to being in that relationship, you agreed to make a sacrifice, and that is that I will no longer be primarily guided by my own needs. I will be primarily guided by my spouse's needs because I am not my own. I belong to her. And this is where I have to say, remember what I said at the beginning, nothing of what is required for a healthy, loving relationship can be demanded. This is not where we point at the other person and say, your body is not your own. That's abusive, that's manipulative. And that will create a very uh, dangerous dynamic in the relationship. No, as an exercise of the free will, as an exercise of godly love, of unconditional love, I wake up each day recognizing my life is not my own. I have committed my life to my wife. 
and her need and the way that I use my body, my capacities to meet that need trumps me meeting my own. Chapter seven, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. She comes around, they figure it out. They re-engage. Come, my beloved, let us go out into the country. Let us spend the night in the village. Let us rise early and go to the vineyards and let us see whether the vine has budded and its blossoms have opened and whether the pomegranates have bloomed and there I will give you my love. And this is my uh, Song of Solomon advice to wives. Wives, your beauty is a gift that you give to your husband. Find joy in that. In the marriage relationship, we all need a spouse who will happily and consistently take the initiative to meet our deepest needs. Are you track with that? It's a couple of key parts. In the marriage relationship, we all need a spouse who will, first of all, happily, second of all, consistently, thirdly, take the initiative to meet our need. What I told my wife for a number of years early in our marriage, well, if you needed that so badly, why didn't you tell me? Because if you had told me, I would have been super motivated to do it. You can tell by the tone of my voice. And what I did inadvertently, without realizing this, what I did is I made my wife a beggar in the relationship. Because if she needed anything from me, she had to come to me every time and retell me again. That's not love. Loving your spouse, your husband or your wife, is happily, consistently owning it, taking the initiative to tend to their needs, to care for their need. The problem is, and this is what we see through this narrative, the problem is, is that our deepest needs are fundamentally different from each other. The wife needs a husband who happily and consistently takes the initiative to communicate joy and delight in her, who happily, consistently takes the initiative to rejoice, to bless her with the words that come out of his mouth. And a husband needs a wife who happily and consistently takes the initiative to care for his physical need. You know, Jesus, when he came to earth, he says, just to be clear, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Why? Because to serve is better than to be served. Now, I know that we've all heard that, and I know that in our minds we say, yes, that's true, but no one coming into adulthood and into relationships intuitively believes that. 
No, what would make our marriage better is if you served me better. And yet, if I have been so transformed by the example of Christ in my marriage relationship that I find a a supreme joy in the act of serving my wife that's even higher than when she serves me, then I, I can never be unhappy in my marriage. Because the possibility of serving her need is in front of me every day. And if that's my supreme joy in the relationship, happiness is available to me. The problem is, is it's not my supreme joy in the relationship until I'm transformed by the love of God. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. He was the one who reached out. And this was the, this was the verse that God used to literally to drive a sword into my evil heart in regards to my relationship to Jenny. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He shows us what love looks like in this way, that while we were still imperfect, while we were actually still rebelling, while we showed disinterest, while we showed complacency, he was, he was going towards us in love, even to the cost of his own life. And what I would do is I would, I would risk a little, just a little tiny bit, and I would put it out there. And then if there's not a, like a reciprocal response, I would do what he did. I would run off in my own impatience, in my own immaturity, take offense. God demonstrates his own love towards us in this way. While we were still sinners, he was dying for us. It is one of the basic and fundamental truths of the gospel that gospel love doesn't wait for anyone. Because gospel love, by definition, is not a demand for reciprocity. No, I won't wait for you. I will take the initiative and pursue you, even when you're not in your best shape. And this is why I say again and again, and you've heard me say this many times if you've been around for a while, if the gospel has not fundamentally transformed your ability to love your spouse, you either do not yet understand it or you do not believe it. And in my life, it's often been both. I don't believe God enough to fully step out in unconditional love, and I'm also confused about some things. And this is how you overcome that. You go back again and again and again to the example of Jesus Christ and say, God, how do you do it? How did you pull it off? How do you love us so perfectly when we're so bad at it? drawing from his example, drawing from the strength that he provides. It is the love of God that transforms our weakness and our failures and our hurts. And it is the love of God that trains our hearts to value the needs of our spouse and to enjoy our capacity, our unique capacity, to meet those needs. That's what the love of God does. So not only does the love of God 
heal what has been broken inside of me, but the love of God over time as I, as I run towards him and as I press into a growing understanding of him, the love of God produces in me not a resentment, but a joy in my unique role as the man who has been called to serve and love my wife and to meet her need. I revel in that. It is a gift. In fact, it's one of the greatest gifts I've been given in this lifetime is that unique role in her life. When we find it difficult to love our spouse, we tend to point at our difficult spouse. God loves us freely by giving himself when we were rebelling against him. I invite the worship team to come up. So I'm going to ask you to do two scary things if you're married. If you're not married and hope to be, should be taking rigorous notes. I want to ask you to do two scary things in your relationship. And I'm going to ask it this morning, particularly in regards to your intimate relationship, to the marriage relationship. Here's the first thing. Stop making demands. Demands are not loving, they're not self, but they're selfish. Demands are not gentle, demands are not patient, and demands always lead to a disconnect. Demands are manipulation. And over time, and some of you have experienced this, demands become abusive. They become controlling. You will never arrive at the vision that you may even now possess of what married love could look like by making demands. It'll never get you there. So stop making demands. The second scary thing is to start asking questions. Turn to your spouse and ask the question, how can I improve my capacity to love and serve you? and then cringe. Because questions are not selfish, they're loving. Questions are gentle. Questions are patient. And questions lead to connection. How can I care for you better? How can I how can I do a better job of really letting you know of the delight that is in my heart towards you? How can I show that in a way that resonates with your heart? Because more than anything, my greatest assignment in this lifetime is to make sure that you, you alone, out of everyone else on the planet, that you experience God's love through me. That is the blessing of marital love. Do we have to wrestle for it? Yes. Do we fight for it? Yes. Do we struggle and fail? Yes. But stop making demands and start asking questions. And allow the love of God to move in your heart, in your life, and in your marriage. Amen. Would you guys stand with me? We have a couple ways that you can respond as we go into worship.
again, I believe that uh, it is the gospel message, it is the love of God that transforms our hearts in this critical, this important area. And so we look to him, we, we worship him, we invite him. We're going to sing together now and celebrating him uh, and his work on our behalf. Another way that we celebrate that is through taking of communion. There's a few stations around the room. And we, uh, when we take communion, the bread and the cup, we are celebrating the death, the broken body of Christ. His blood poured out for us so that we have life in ourselves, his life. You can also uh, take this time during worship, during time of responding to him. Uh, we'll have uh, offering receptacles along the back. Uh, you can uh, give to the ministry. And then lastly, uh, we try to do this each first Sunday of the month. We're going to have our elders and wives uh, over here on this side, over by the prayer area. They would love to pray with you. And regardless of where you're at, this is what I would invite you to this morning. Because uh, I, so, I so believe in the prayers of our elders. Regardless of where you're at this morning, I would encourage you to consider, uh, maybe you're doing great and you're just looking ahead. Maybe you're really struggling. But that you would go as husband and wife have one of our elders and their wives pray for you, lay hands on you, pray a blessing over your life as we worship. Those invitations are available to you. Let's come before him. Oh, it's, I'm so glad this morning that, that that was Aaron's passage. And the truth is that each one of us, every one of us in this room, are in a relationship that is, in some level, defined by love. Right? And the, the picture that God has given us, and he says, I want you to love each other and get better at loving each other because when you do, you, and you experience me. He says, the picture that I'm giving you of that love is Christ on the cross. And let that picture Turn your eyes towards Jesus on the cross. Let that picture of him willingly making the sacrifice, making the provision for you, even while you are in your sin, let that picture inform you in all of your love relationships, right? Let that give you direction for when to serve, and how far to go in your service, and even how to meet needs, right? May we be a people who follow his example in our love relationships. And today, especially, may we consider what that looks like for those of you that are married within, within that unique relationship in marriage. Amen. I just want to remind you of a couple things before I cut you loose. Tonight there is no youth group, junior high or senior high. Uh, you may want to check with your house church leader if you're involved in that because uh, they may have changed their plans based on the game. Um, and then of course there's a number of opportunities you might want to check out at the information table. Make sure you don't miss those. Will the Lord bless you and keep you. May he remind you of his great sacrifice for you throughout the week. We'll catch you next week. You're dismissed.